Amen. Well, good morning. Is everyone doing well this morning? Good. One person is, it sounds like. All right. Well, I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church. And we're excited to be together to worship this morning. Um, you know, Trevor just mentioned the Bible app. And if you open up the Bible app, you go to the main menu and live events, you can follow along with us uh, through our scriptures that we're going to read and cover this morning. And I'd encourage you to do that. But they'll also be up on the screen. And I want to start this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. And this is how it begins, teaching about um, how God works in and builds up the church. It says, He, that's God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. I want you to look at that phrase, for the building up of the body of Christ. One of Paul, who is um, one of the largest writers of the New Testament, one of his favorite images to talk about the church is to refer to the church as the body of Christ, that Jesus is the head, and then you and I are all members of that body. Different members who play different roles, who have different functions, who equally need one another for us to function well. And here he says that God has given certain people and certain gifts to build up the body of Christ, to build up the church. He goes on and he says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And here he carries along that same idea, that God has given people and gifts so that as a group, as a unit, as a body, as a church, we can be joined and held together and can grow up. And before we go any further, I just want to stop and say how thankful I am for the people and the gifts that God has given to our church. The ways in which that we encourage and challenge one another and work together to build one another up. Just over the last few weeks has been a great example of why God brings different people with different gifts together so that we can work together in different times of need. I'm incredibly thankful for Chad and his willingness to come and to lead us in worship this morning. Some of you know, probably most of you know, that our worship minister, Kyle, has been in and out of the hospital for weeks now. Um, we do get to celebrate that Kyle got to go home yesterday um, after spending 10 days in the hospital for his second um, stint. And it's been really difficult on him and his wife Megan and their kids. Um, because of the restrictions that we're under right now, hospitals allow uh, someone in the hospital to have one visitor a day. Like one person, one shot. And if that visitor leaves, they can't come back. And so um, Kyle has not seen his kids up until yesterday for 10 days. It's just been really difficult. And I'm so proud of the way our church has stepped up um, to provide love, to provide care, 
to communicate and reach out to them, to provide food. A bunch of people have been providing um, cooked meals and pre-bought meals and things just to help make life a little easier in this really difficult time. Um, so thankful for all of those who have stepped up to do that. So thankful for Chad, even though this isn't his primary, quote, church home. Uh, his church home is in Inglewood, but um, collectively, we are all the church. And so thankful that he was willing to come and use his gifts. And it's just so encouraging. Even behind us this week, John, who's normally up here playing the bass, who wasn't up here today, um, built these new stage backdrops for us, utilizing his gifts. And this is what Paul is talking about, that we come together to build one another up so that we can grow and to be strengthened. And I think over the last few weeks, the gifts and the people in this church has been put on full display. And I think it's something that's worth mentioning and celebrating. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to push pause on Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, we're actually going to come back to it in a few minutes. But I want to push pause on it um, to do a little bit of background work before we jump into Ephesians, the rest of Ephesians 4, and, and turn our attention to something uh, a, a little different here in a few moments. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but um, nationally, this is what many churches uh, recognize and celebrate as um, the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, back in 1984, Ronald Reagan declared uh, January 22nd to be the national day of human, the, the sanctity of human life. And usually the closest Sunday to that day is when churches all over the country um, stop and celebrate and think about the sanctity of all human life. Traditionally, at Element Church, we spend that Sunday every year talking about the implications that the gospel has on how we view human life. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about the gospel, what it is, defining it, and how it impacts our life. I don't want to re-preach last week's message, but in short, when we say the gospel, we mean the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that completely transforms not only our lives, but how we view other people, how we relate to other people, how we understand this world and God's plan in this world. And it's the gospel that informs how we see all people. I want to show you one example of that in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, when Jesus and his disciples, his closest followers, are having some conversations, and the disciples ask this question. At that time, this is in verse 1 of Matthew 18, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And here's how Jesus responds. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus starts to redefine how we see ourselves, starts to redefine how we see other people, starts to redefine how we understand God's kingdom and the way it works. Now, just after teaching this, Jesus, right now, he's in a region called Galilee. If you're familiar with, like, modern geography, which probably most of you aren't, because, like, how long has it been since we've all been in a geography class, right? Um, but, but what would be modern-day northern Israel, kind of on the southern edge of modern-day Lebanon, uh, is the region that in the first century they called Galilee. Jesus leaves that region, he crosses the Jordan River, and the Bible says that large crowds followed Jesus. And then it says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 1, and he healed them. 
And so Jesus travels to a new area, and he's just doing ministry. He's loving on people. He's teaching. He's caring for them. And this is what happens in this new region. So just after the previous story we read, and then it says, as he's healing people, teaching them, praying for them, laying his hands on them, and praying for them, it says, then children were brought to him that he, Jesus, might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Uh, historian O.M. Bake wrote a book called When Children Became People. And in it he was examining um, how society has morphed their views of children over time. And the primary focus of his study is how the teachings of Jesus redefined how this new group of people who would later be called Christians viewed children, ultimately how that led to a change within the Roman Empire as Christianity grew, which redefined and helped set the precedent for how Western civilization would view and understand children. While it may not seem controversial to us today, what Jesus says in Matthew 18 and Matthew chapter 19 is highly controversial because in the first century, children were disposable. As Bake writes in his book, the common practice was not to name a child until about the seventh or eighth day. Because if a child was born to a very poor family who they felt they couldn't take care of it, if a child was born to a very wealthy family and they didn't want to risk the family estate being divided, if the child was born with complications or disabilities or the wrong gender, all of those would lead many families to leave their child to exposure. There was no value to children. Jesus began to change the narrative. So that these early group of Christians started collecting money for orphans and widows. It became a common practice that rather than leaving a child who was unwanted exposed, people began leaving children who were unwanted on the doorsteps of known Christians in their town because they knew Christians would take care of them. And as Christianity grew within the Roman Empire, by the 4th century, leaving a child to exposure became illegal. Because Jesus started to change and redefine how we view children and all people. That children are valuable because they're created in God's image. And as Jesus illustrated and teaches us all, that children can teach us actually a lot of very valuable lessons. Children are precious. And that in essence, if you and I really want to get after what God has in store for us, we're actually going to have to become a little more like children in a few ways. But here's what I want to do. I actually want to go back to Ephesians 4 now that we just read a moment ago. And we're going to read the same passage. We're just going to focus on something different. So here's what Paul says about the church. And he gave, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, 
and to Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So here's what Paul wants to say to us. That we are to no longer be children and we are to grow up. Now, Paul here is not contradicting what Jesus just taught. Matter of fact, he's building on it. God calls all of us to be childlike, but to grow out of being childish. God calls all of us to be childlike, but all of us are called to grow up out of being childish. So here's what I want to do. I want to make just a couple observations about the difference between childlike faith and childish faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So this is the same author, Paul, who's writing to a different church this time, trying to challenge and encourage them in their personal and corporate walk and growth journey with God. And he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So here Paul is using this idea of being childish in faith to illustrate something that he wants to point out. And that's this, that childish faith is all about what I want. But childlike faith is all about what God wants. Now, if you have ever spent time with children, you have children, like you understand the selfishness of children, right? It's me, it's my, it's what I want, and I want it now. And Paul is challenging this church that he's pastoring and saying, listen, I want to talk to you as adults, but I have to keep talking to you as kids because you still act in this simple, selfish, human way. That's not what God designed for you. Listen, we all understand that kids, right, because of their perspective and life experience, they think primarily about themselves. But a mark of maturity is that as they grow, they begin thinking of others. Maybe it starts with not just thinking of themselves, but they think of themselves and someone else. And then as it grows, they begin thinking more and more and more about others. And maturity reaches a point where you begin to think of others more than yourself. Hopefully many of you have been on that same maturity growth in your own life. That you begin to think of others more than yourself. What Jesus wants us to know is that childlike faith is all about what God wants. It's about being concerned about someone other than ourselves. Let's look at another example. In Hebrews chapter 5, different author writing to another church, and he says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles or the teachings of God. You need milk, not solid food. 
Using the same illustration idea again. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the work, word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment. Trained by constant practice to distinguish from good and evil. And here's another observation. Childish faith maintains dependency on other people. Childlike faith means dependency on God. Childish faith says, I'll just sit back and let everyone else do it for me. I'll just rely on everyone else to do the hard work. To impart all those good things to me. I'll be an empty cup and you just pour in and pour in and pour in and pour on. And I'll just keep accepting. But a childlike faith, faith that God wants to build in us, maintains dependency on God. Children are dependent. That's the nature of the maturity process. Children are dependent. But in your faith, God calls you to move from a dependency on others doing all the work to a dependency on God. Notice what it said here. This, this dependence is not what we normally think of. Here at the end, he says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice. Growing into maturity and faith doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by just sitting back and watching. By sitting back and letting others do all the work and just pour into you. Growing in maturity in your faith takes work. It becomes a dependency on God to work in you as opposed to a dependency on others to work for you. And let me point out one other while we're here. I want you to notice what he says. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. Let me just address a common error that sometimes we use or think of when we think about being like a child. When Jesus said, uh, if, if you really want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you need to be like one of these children. And sometimes we use that as a justification to don't ask questions, don't doubt. Listen, if you're an adult in here, you recognize it's pretty easy to convince kids to believe whatever you want. They can be manipulated, they can be lied to, they can be threatened, they can be tricked. Jesus does not call us to an ignorant, blind faith. He does not call us to a faith that says, just believe and don't ask any questions. If you know anything about the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of Paul, about the teaching of the Bible, is that we are to press in, to ask hard questions, to work, to discover truth that God wants to reveal. God is not asking us to have an ignorant, blind faith where we never doubt or never have questions. Rather, Paul is trying to get his audience, or the writer of Hebrews here is trying to get his audience to move to a deeper level of understanding. He even tells them, this is hard to explain. Right now, you're dependent on milk, but, but I want to move you to a place of solid food. A childish faith is ignorant, uninformed, takes the easy, lazy route of just don't ask questions. But a childlike faith, the faith that Jesus calls us to, it works hard at understanding. It presses into the difficulties. Let's make one more observation, and we'll do it by going back to Matthew 18. 
At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, we read this earlier, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Childish faith is arrogant. Childlike faith is humble. I want you just to think about the audacity of what the disciples were doing in that moment, right? Coming up to Jesus, trying to barter for who is going to have a higher place in, in God's eternal kingdom. Not in this story, but we see another time where two brothers, James and John, actually bring their mom into the equation to help kind of push Jesus along so her boys will be higher than the others. And Jesus counters them. Rather than saying, and, and saying, oh, uh, let me tell you the order. Let me tell you which of you is going to be higher or lower than the others. He says, no, 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 you're missing the point. You're worried about who's, is, who's going to be the greatest. I'm telling you, I want you to be like this child who recognizes their place and who has a humble attitude. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Childish faith is arrogant. Childish faith looks around and compares themselves to everyone else in the room to see who they're better than. Childlike faith humbles themselves recognizing that they're here to serve others, to help others grow in maturity because they turn their attention not on themselves but on others. So on this day when churches all over the country are celebrating the sanctity of human life, we do it because the gospel informs how we understand humans creating God's image. That all of us are equally worthy of love and dignity and respect. And Jesus redefined how we see people and how we see ourselves because the gospel changes everything. What Jesus is calling you and I to is not a lazy, childish, selfish, arrogant faith, but a childlike faith, one that is humble, dependent on God, not on others, and one who seeks the welfare of others, who seeks after what God wants, not what they want. I want you to allow that to challenge and encourage you this morning. As you think about your own faith journey, your own process of maturity, that just as we train children to grow into maturity, God wants to challenge and to encourage and to train you this morning to grow in your faith as the gospel begins redefining how you see yourself and how you see others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we have the chance to come together this morning to celebrate your goodness, and to celebrate that the gospel redefines everything for us. Jesus, that your life changes how we see ourselves, and it changes how we see you, and it changes how we see others. I want you to keep your eyes closed, if you will, for just a moment. 
And the first thing that I want you to know and I want you to hear is that God loves you and that you are valuable and precious to him. You were created in his image. That means that you are worthy of love and respect and dignity. That because of God's love for you, Jesus lived and died and rose for you. That's the gospel. That changes everything and it changes the way we see ourselves. And this, this isn't a message about oh, think, think more highly of yourself or whatever. I just, I, I want to stop and take a minute to give you an opportunity to recognize the power and the weight of the gospel. Because I recognize that there are probably some in here who don't feel worthy, who don't feel loved, who don't, who don't feel worthy of respect and dignity. And Jesus says otherwise. Jesus says you're loved. And you're loved enough that he gave his life for you. The other thing I want you to hear this morning is that our faith journey in walking with God and growing in spiritual maturity, it's not just something that happens to us. It's something that we take a part, a, a ownership of, that we work at, train for, practice, and I want to challenge you this morning, if you've been walking through your life, just, trying, just letting spiritual maturity happen to you rather than pursuing it, maybe this morning is a challenge and encouragement for you to take an active step in growing in your faith and growing in your journey and growing in your maturity in Christ. And let this be a moment that changes things for you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Would you be honored by the way in which we respond to your amazing grace? To the grace that you put on display on the cross. To the grace that defeated sin and death and the grave. We celebrate and sing your amazing grace. About your love for us. Your love for all people you created in your image. Lord, would you use that grace to spurn us on towards growing in maturity?